All right, if you have your Bible with you, turn to Numbers chapter 14 as we continue in our series, These Walls Must Fall, with the tagline, Breaking Barriers to God's Blessing. And we find that Paul was writing to the church of Corinth in the book of 2 Corinthians, and he says this, he says, though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. We use God's mighty weapons, not worldly weapons, to knock down the strongholds of human reasoning and destroy false arguments that keep us from the knowledge of God. In other words, he's saying in this word strongholds, he says we knock down strongholds. And that translation is the right way to say it because this word strongholds in the Greek means a fortress of walls. And so he's saying right here, there are some walls that can begin to exist in our life, either walls that are built in our life by things we go through or walls that we even participate in the construction of that can keep us from living in the fullness of a relationship with God. And the Bible has a lot to say about walls. In the translation I looked at, there are 255 occurrences of the word wall. And here's what I know is that in our culture today, there are some walls that need to be rebuilt and restored. Walls around marriage and family, walls around sexuality and gender identity. I mean, I really believe that there are some walls that need to be rebuilt, walls that are intended to protect and ensure the blessing of God in life. But there are also some walls that need to come down. That's what Paul's saying. He's saying there are walls that can divide us from one another. There are walls that can hinder us from walking forward and moving forward towards your, the best plan and purpose, the promised land that God has for your life. There are walls that can keep you in bondage and sin. There are walls that can keep you from enjoying the relationship that God came to give you with him through Jesus Christ. And relationship is what God is after with you. Religion is the story of man's forever frustrated attempt to become right with God or approved by God. But Christianity is the story of God's forever successful attempt to rescue his sons and daughters out of our sin and restore us to a relationship with God. And so the Bible is the story of Christianity. The Bible is the story of, of God reaching down into broken, fallen humanity who had fallen into that because of our very own pride, sin, and rebellion, and rescuing us back to a place of relationship. So as such, the Bible has a lot to say about the condition of man before Christ and the condition of man without Christ. And the Bible uses several terms to describe that condition, and one that we're mostly all familiar with is the word sin, which most of us kind of have the connotation of bad behavior. And that's not entirely wrong, There's, that's really true, but the word in the Greek is hamartia, and it's an archery term that means to miss the mark. And so when we sin, really it, it is bad behavior, but really it's, it's, a, it's a definition of us missing the mark that God has established for us to live by. But the Bible has some other words that it uses to describe the fallen condition of man. And we're gonna, we're gonna look at a couple of those today. And here's the thing is, unfortunately, many believers are unfamiliar with the meaning or significance of these words, which is unfortunate because the Bible doesn't talk about these words or use these words to shame us or condemn us, but rather to help us to understand what's at stake and to help us to understand the gravity of living for God, to help us to understand how our life tends to go when we drift from God or choose to live life according to our own ways, absent of a relationship and a commitment to relationship with God or a commitment to live out life according to God's word. So Numbers 14, verse 18, is where we find 
a couple of these words that God uses in addition to the word sin to describe the fallen nature of man and the condition of man before Christ and outside of Christ. And here's what it says, if you allow me to read for us in verse 18, Numbers chapter 14, it says this, the Lord is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Come on, how many of you are grateful that God is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love in spite of us, huh? And it, reading on, it says, forgiving iniquity and transgression. Two additional concepts, words that God uses in addition to sin, that Jesus came to forgive, iniquity and, and transgression. But read on, so it's important, God establishes what he's about to say in the context of forgiveness, he's slow to anger, he's quick to forgive, he's rich in mercy, but he's also gonna establish something that's very important for us to understand and embrace. And read on, he says, but he will no, by no means clear the guilty, rather visiting the iniquity, there we see that word again, of the fathers upon the children, to the third and the fourth generation. Now I want you to turn to Ezekiel chapter 18 and turn or click to Ezekiel chapter 18 and verse 20, we're gonna read a scripture that could seem to contradict what we just read. But I'm gonna show you that it actually is intended to clarify what we just read. And in verse 20 of Ezekiel chapter 18, it says this, the one who sins is the one who will die. The child will not share the guilt of the parent, nor will the parent share the guilt of the child. Here's the key right here. The righteousness of the righteous will be credited to them and the wickedness of the wicked will be charged against them. So these two things could seem to contradict. In one passage, we see that the iniquities or sins or transgressions of the father visit the third and fourth generation. Then we turn the page and it says that the father and the children will not be accountable for the sins of the father or the sins of the children. Come on, where are my parents at? How many of you are glad you're not accountable for the sins of your children or you're not? And sometimes it seems like, whoa, man, I am suffering because of the sins of my children. But here's the thing, both are true. Both are true. And here's how they're true, because they're talking about two different things. And Ezekiel chapter 18 is talking about eternal salvation. Righteousness is not just good behavior. It is relational position to God. And your relational position to God is established through your personal confession of faith, believing in your heart and confessing with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. And here's the powerful principle is that no one can keep you from making that confession. And, and, and here's the other powerful principle to, to be reminded of is no one can do it for you. That you personally have to make a decision to say, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God, the Messiah, the one who came to pay the way for me to be made right with God. And I am saying, I'm believing in my heart, I'm confessing with my mouth, and I am making him the Lord of my life. And the Bible says, once you make that confession, that nothing can separate you from the love of God that you have through Christ Jesus. So we're talking about eternity, but then this other principle is still very valid and very true. And that's this idea that sin has an effect on people around us. And we see it underlined so clearly when we look at the New Living Translation of that same verse, Numbers 14, verse 18, where it says this, and just allow me to read it again, just uh, uh, to underline the, the significance of it. The Lord is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Forgiving, here we see these two words again, iniquity and transgression. You read on and it says this, the entire family is affected, even children in the third and fourth generation. So he says, I forgive transgressions and iniquity, but he's making a point here. He's saying, but you better understand that the way you choose to live your life matters. It has an impact. 
impact. It has an effect, not just on yourself, but on those around you. So it says two things here. He says he forgives transgressions and iniquity. So transgressions are sins that are actually committed. Iniquity, so what is iniquity and how can we deal with it? If you look into the original language, in the, in the Hebrew language, the word for iniquity is the word avon. And, and if you look further into that word, you see that the word literally means bent. And, and here, it doesn't always work this way, but there's actually a kind of cool way that this applies over into the English language that helps us really understand the heart and the root and the meaning of what this word iniquity is implying to us. And, and here, have you ever heard this said, he has a bent towards anger? Or he has a bent towards negativity? Or she has a bent towards gossip? And, and here's the thing is, it's exactly what the word iniquity means. It means an inward tendency or inclination towards sin. And so here, here's the thing, bent, it, so God says, my intention is for you to live on the straight and narrow way. And, 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 and the enemy, is, his intention is for you to have all these things that are crooked in your life. And, and, and here, you know, God gave me a, an example that I have to live with forever and ever. And on this hand, I have a straight finger right here. You see that finger? There's a straight finger right there. And then one day I went fishing on the jetties out on the Gulf Coast of the Gulf of Mexico when we lived in Brownsville, Texas, served in a beautiful area with some beautiful people and, and wonderful weather and, and wonderful food, great tacos, year-round good weather. You know, you could golf and fish and hunt year-round. I loved it. Uh, but we're grateful to be in Northeast Kansas. Come on, someone say amen. Come on, it's a good time to live in Kansas. It's a good time to, uh, to be a football fan in Kansas. Someone say amen. Just give the Lord a shout of praise right there. And tonight is... Um, the Bucks versus the Chiefs, so you might expect a good Tom Brady uh, snarky comment today in the service, but the Holy Spirit, who is sitting right over here, her name is Amity, my wife, cautioned me against making that kind of a statement. So I, I was fishing on a jetty, and, and, it's, and it's one of those things where the sea mist kind of comes up on those rocks. The jetty are these big rocks that they put out into the Gulf of Mexico to create the avenue or the pathway for the ships to come into the ship channel of Brownsville. And so you can go out on these rocks, and you can fish, and it's beautiful, and the surf is coming in, and the ships are coming in, and the dolphins are swimming, and the sun is setting. And, but these rocks kind of get slippery, and I was carrying a couple of rods and a cooler and some bait, and I, my feet went out from under me, and, 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 and I, I came came down and I got up and my finger was in this condition right here. Do you see that? That's as straight as that finger can currently bend. And so this is God's way. <laughs> this is iniquity. And God says, my heart and my intention is for you to live this way, according to my word, according to my will, According to my heart, walking straight paths of righteousness, but because of sin, because of the effects of sin, there's iniquity that tr tends to enter into our lives that causes us to have to deal with a crooked path through life. And it says that I'll forgive it, but you understand, you better understand, there's going to be an effect of it on this side of eternity. The principle is this, our decisions in life matter. The way we live makes a difference in the lives of others. The entire family is affected. But here, I wanna to shift to the good news. Here's the good news. Did you know that Jesus came to deal with both transgressions and iniquities? And do you remember Isaiah chapter 53 where it says this? He was wounded for our what? Transgressions. And he was bruised for our iniquities. 
And this is powerful. Can you catch this? Watch what Jesus is saying right here. He's saying that he was wounded for our transgressions. What are transgressions? They are sins that are actually outwardly committed. What's a wound? It's an outward visible injury. But he says, but I was bruised for your iniquities. What's an iniquity? It's an inward motivation or inclination to sin. It's a bent towards anger. It's a bent towards lust. It's a bent towards greed. It's a bent towards something that is not God's best. And he says that inward, he said, I came, Jesus says, I came to heal you and forgive you and deliver you from both. The sins that you've committed, I'm gonna forgive. I'm gonna wash away. I'm gonna cleanse you of. I'm gonna restore you from. And that inward motivation to sin that's been passed Passed on to you through fallen nature. I've come to heal it and restore it and to help you to begin to live beyond it. Someone, come on, someone ought to say thank you, Jesus, that you came to deal with both the sins I've committed and to help me be healed of this inward motivation to sin that the Bible calls iniquity. He says, I, I was wounded for your transgressions. I was bruised for your iniquities. These tendencies towards behaviors or sins or mindsets that are oftentimes modeled or passed on. Here's the good news. It can work for good. If you, if you grew up in a home where they were generous and benevolent, you, you will probably have a tendency to, to be generous and benevolent. If you grew up in a home that was loving and caring, there's a likelihood that you will have seen the benefit that that brought to the nature of the, the culture of the home and the family. And there's probably an inclination that you have to live the same way. But unfortunately, the adverse is also true. That oftentimes when we look up and we realize, gosh, the things that I needed to be modeled to me and spoken to me weren't modeled or spoken to me. And in those places, there were some things that my parents struggled with. Here are some common family iniquities. Fear, negativity. This is not a comprehensive list. And I don't wanna spotlight sin too much, but I just think that it's helpful for maybe the Lord to use this list to kind of maybe prompt or kind of bring a, shine a loving light, a gracious light, because there is zero condemnation in Christ, but there is a spirit of conviction that the Lord wants to highlight things that are holding us back or hindering us, these strongholds, these fortresses of walls that are keeping us in, in, enslaved or in bondage or even just holding us back from living the best life, the blessed life that God has for you and I. So this is not comprehensive, just a few things, fear, negativity, criticism or gossip. Racism is a big one. I personally do not believe that kids come into the world with racism in their heart. I believe it's one of the ones that's most clearly a modeled behavior. Chauvinism, the way that men treat women in your family, is something that is tend, tends to be caught through exposure and through modeling. Legalism, greed, judgment, pride, Anger, strife, isolation, divorce, a poverty spirit that doesn't believe that God will really provide and so it keeps you from being able to be generous with your resources or your time. Control, manipulation, deception and dishonesty, a tendency to exaggerate things, materialism, performance-based affection, in other words, I love you more when you're making the team and making the grades. And I love you even more if you're the quarterback instead of the water boy. How many of you maybe grew up in a home where you experienced some of those things? And the Bible says, just be aware. 
There's going to be a tendency for these things to be things that you're gonna have to be willing to present to God to allow him to heal and to deal with it. And he's, he's not trying to shame us or condemn us. He just wants us to be aware of these things because here's the unfortunate reality is that life is oftentimes caught more than it is taught. And they, you know, there's that, that saying, do as I do, not as I, do as I say, not as I do. And unfortunately, it doesn't work that way. And if you're saying one thing, but you're living another thing, that's unfortunately gonna be what has the biggest impression upon your family, your heart, your children, and their future. So God just wants us to understand these things. And here's what I wanna encourage you with is that we all have imperfect backgrounds. We all have imperfect parents. And some of us had good Christian parents who were striving and endeavoring to train us up and raise us up in the church and to know God and to, to love Jesus. But they still, even if they were really good Christian parents, they still had their imperfections and their dysfunctions. And unfortunately, some of you, some of us had parents that were on the whole other end of the spectrum, abusive, neglective, hurtful, disconnected. And I'm, I wanna encourage you today that if that's you, today through this message, God isn't trying to, to hold you back in that. He's trying to help you to break free from some of those things. He wants to come into your heart where he can fill the void, where he can heal the wound, where he can help you to begin to release and forgive them of those things so that you could begin to say, Lord, uh, uh, Satan, it stops with me. Those things that were done, those things that were modeled, those things that I needed to be said or done, the affirmation and the love and the affection, it's stops with me and it starts with me. I'm cutting off through the blood of Jesus Christ, through the power of those nails that went into his hands. I'm cutting off that flow. I'm cutting off that line and starting today, I'm gonna begin by the grace of God. I can't do it in my own strength. I'm gonna begin to live differently. I'm gonna begin to pass off a different heritage. Here's the thing I wanna encourage you with. We all have imperfect parents, so we all can do what God instructed us to do, commanded us to do, which is honor our parents. And did you know when God commanded us to do that? To honor our father and mother because it's the first promise or commandment with a promise and a blessing that our life would go well and, and you would live long in this earth on the other side of eternity. That's what is the, is the context of God commanding us to honor our father and mother. Did you know when he commanded you to do that, he knew that you would have imperfect parents. And so we can still honor them in spite of their imperfections. And we could show them grace in spite of their imperfections. Here's the thing, understanding that now if you have kids, you're the imperfect parent that is now endeavoring to raise your kids in the way that is pleasing to God. We must honor our parents. Some of you have parents that were very hard to live with. They did hurtful things or they didn't do what you needed them to do. You can continue to honor them. You can show grace to them. And I wanna encourage you to understand something that they were doing, perhaps the best that they could do and best they knew how to do with the way that they were raised. And there was a generation of men, mostly men, there were women that served in it, obviously, and obviously were affected by it, that went off and fought those world wars, and they saw atrocities, and they saw bloodshed, and they saw things that they never deserved to see as young little 16, 17-year-old kids that lied about their age to be able to go over and fight on the beaches of Normandy. And they saw things, and they came back, and it's no wonder that maybe they had a hard time expressing love and affection to their families. And many of us grew up with fathers or grandfathers who were raised in that atmosphere. Maybe we can have grace for them that it wasn't easy for them to express their affection to us. Maybe we can understand they were just doing the best with what had been presented to them. And maybe we can find the grace to forgive them and release them 
and make the determination to look for the ways to appreciate them and find the ways to say, God, the things that were unfortunate that were passed on to me that the Bible calls iniquities, now I thank you for the blood of Jesus that will help me to begin to live in a new and better way. We can honor them and we can extend grace to them. But we also need to realize that to live in the fullness of what God is inviting you to, that there might be some places where we have to make the same decision that Abram was willing to make when God came to him and was making him the father of faith and was inviting him to start a journey to a promised land that God was ordaining and calling him and his descendants to. And watch what God said to Abram when he came to him. He said, the Lord said, go from your country, go from your people, go from your father's household to the land that I will show you. Never did he say dishonor or not show grace to them. Abram's descendants, Abram's parents were worshipers of the moon and the sun and the stars. And he said, I'm inviting you to a different place. I'm inviting you to a new season. I'm inviting you to live a different way. I'm inviting you to have a relationship with the one true and living God. And to do that, you're going to have to be willing. You can honor him. You can show grace to him, but you're going to have to be willing to do what Abram was willing to do. And that's get up from some old patterns, get up from some old places and begin to take fresh steps of faith towards a new life that God has for you, a new and bigger and better and more blessed life that God has for you. So we can honor them. We could show grace to them, but we have to understand that there will be some places that God is calling us to take a step of faith, to move forward towards some new and better things that he has for us. Come on, how many of you are grateful that God's willing to lead you forward into some new and better things, to a new level of knowing God and serving God and living in the blessing of God? So here, I wanna give you seven things. I added an eighth one between services. So actually eight things that are steps for us to walk in uh, the fullness of God's blessing to break these generational strongholds. They all start with the letter R. In fact, they all start with R-E. Number one is realize. And here's what I really wanna say, be real. Get real with yourself. Understand that we all have some sort of dysfunction in our family. We all have an imperfect upbringing that we're going to have to be willing to present in the presence of God to be healed and to be strengthened so that we can move forward in a new and better way that God can bless. There's not one person, not one man, it doesn't matter how good your family was or how dysfunctional your family was, we all, just realize it, just be real with yourself. There's gonna be some things that you're gonna have to be willing to present to God to be healed of and for God to deal with so you can move forward in the blessing of God. And here's the thing is, if you disagree with me, if you think, well, my family doesn't have any dysfunction in it, well, let me just tell you something. You're probably the one that's bringing the dysfunction to the family, then it's just the way it is. Genesis chapter six, verse nine, God's speaking about Noah as he's selecting Noah to be the one that would be preserved to reestablish the family of faith. And he says, Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time. He walked faithfully with God. You turn the page, just two pages to the right, to Genesis chapter nine, and it says this. After the flood, Noah began to cultivate the ground. He planted a vineyard. One day he drank some wine that he had made, became drunk, and lay naked inside of his tent. Come on, even good, righteous, God-loving, God-fearing people have some stuff they're still working on in their life. And I, I don't know, I, 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 don't, I won't judge Noah. I don't know how, what my condition would be if I had just spent that great amount of time cooped up in that boat with my in-laws. It might drive me to drinking too, who knows, you know? I mean, I'm just not, I'm not throwing stones at Noah is what I'm saying. Here's the point, even good, righteous people have their own issues and their problems. We gotta get real, we gotta understand there's no family. Don't feel like you're going this alone. The person to your left, the person to your right, right, right that looks like, that seems like they have it all together, trust me, 
there's something that they're dealing with. So we gotta get real. Number two, we gotta recognize, recognize, be willing to recognize this pattern, this mindset, this behavior. Is this God's best? Or is it possible that this is a sinful iniquity that I'm walking in? We've gotta be willing to recognize. And here's the thing, the standard is not the Joneses or keeping up with them. The standard is not the culture of the world and what it defines as success in marriage or family. We must return to the standard being God's word. Is this behavior, is the way I think about people, is the way I think about that other race, is the way I talk to my spouse, is the way I'm living my life, is the way I'm handling these areas that God has asked me to steward and entrusted to me, is it God's very best or is it possible that I could begin to recognize there's some things that I need to begin to believe God to help me to do better, to live better. Number three, we need to be willing to repent. Once we've realized, gotten real with God, gotten real with ourselves, once we've recognized, hey, this behavior, this pattern might not be God's best for my life, we gotta be willing to repent. And you know, we have not done anyone any favors by making the word repent an uncomfortable word in church. We need a restoration, a movement of repentance in the house of God. A willingness to say, God, we, 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 we need to see some things differently. We need to turn from some things. We need to begin to turn away from some things and turn back towards you, back towards your word, back towards your house. We need to realize, recognize, we need to begin to repent. Leviticus 26 says this, but if they confess their iniquity and the iniquity of their fathers with their unfaithfulness in which they were unfaithful to me and the ways that they have walked contrary to me, if they'll repent, then, verse 42, I will remember my covenant with Jacob, my covenant with Isaac, my covenant with Abraham. I will remember. We gotta realize, we gotta recognize it as sin. We gotta be willing to say, God, we're sorry. We're willing to think differently, live differently. We're willing to repent. Number four, this is a big one. This is a big one. We gotta be willing to release. And that's the R-E word to kind of fit with the alliteration for forgive. We gotta release them. We gotta forgive them. Matthew chapter 18, Jesus tells a parable after answering a question of Peter who asked in verse 21, Lord, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? And, and I think Peter was trying to kind of make a point to kind of show how holy he was and how godly he was when he said, he kind of threw this in there seven times. And I don't know about you, but if you've done something to me seven consecutive times, it might be about the end of the grace that I would have in my own strength to forgive you. But Jesus kind of puts Peter right back in his place when he says, no, truly, Peter, I tell you, 70 times, seven times. And he goes on then to tell a parable and he says, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who decided to bring his accounts up to date with the servants who had borrowed money from him. And in the process, one of his debtors was brought in who owed him millions of dollars. He couldn't pay, so his master ordered that he be sold along with his wife, his children, everything he owned to pay the debt. But the man fell down before his master and begged him, please be patient with me, I will pay it all. And the master was filled with pity for him and released him and forgave his debt. But when the man left the king, the one who had been forgiven, the one who had just been forgiven, he went to a fellow servant who owed him a few thousand dollars and he grabbed him by the throat and he demanded instant payment. His fellow servant also fell down before him, begged for a little more time, be patient with me, I will pay it. But his creditor wouldn't wait. He had the man arrested, put in prison, till the debt could be paid in full. 
Some of the other servants saw this. They were very upset. They went to the king and they told him everything that had happened. The king called the man in that he had forgiven the millions and said, you evil servant, I forgave you that tremendous debt because you pleaded with me. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? The angry king sent the man to prison to be tortured. Your translation might say tormented until he had paid his entire debt. And then Jesus underlines just the gravity of this. I know this is hard, but this is, these are red-letter words in your Bible, my Bible. And he says, that's what my heavenly Father will do to you if you refuse to forgive your brothers and sisters from your heart. So he says it turns unforgiveness, turns us over to torment. And unforgiveness really is a fortress of walls that keeps people from walking in the blessing of God. You might have heard it said this way, the unforgiveness is like drinking poison and hurt, hoping that it harms the other party. And I wanna encourage you with something today that it's not always easy, but it's pretty clear that there's an expect, expectation of you and I as Christ followers to be willing to forgive. But Pastor T, you don't know, I'm talking about real offenses, real hurts, real pains, real misdeeds, real abuse, real curses, Real manipulation, real infidelity. I'm talking about real painful things that God sees and he knows. He knows what it felt like. He came, the Bible says, and he experienced all that. He experienced the rejection of Judas and the rejection of the crowd that said, give us Barabbas. And so oftentimes because, of, of re, because love is our greatest need, rejection is our greatest pain. And God says, I saw what they really did to you. But he says, would you just be reminded of all that I've forgiven you of? And it might not be easy, but God has a tendency of putting us in places that we can't do in our own strength. You gotta rely upon the grace of God. You gotta be mindful of the grace of God towards you to really be able to find the ability to, from your heart, to release them. Let me encourage you with a powerful principle that when you forgive them doesn't make what they did to you right. It just begins to make you free. And it transfers the responsibility. So many people carrying around the burden of responsibility for what was done to you by them. And God says, you weren't made to be a repository for unforgiveness and anger. Would you give it to me? And would you trust me to deal with them how I see fit? Can I tell you, he can deal with them better than you ever could. He also sees and knows the things that were done to them that you've never seen, that caused them to be a hurting person that hurt another person. We gotta release them. It's worth repeating. When you forgive them, it doesn't make them right. It just makes you free. Number five, we need to refrain, is the R-E word, from making inner vows. And that's a concept, this concept of inner vows that not a lot of Christians are familiar with, but Jesus actually addresses it very specifically in the Gospel of Matthew chapter five. And also it's revisited in James chapter five. And in Matthew five, Jesus says this in verse 33. He says, you've also heard that our ancestors were told, you must not break your vows. You must carry out the vows you make to the Lord. But I say, do not make any vows. Do not say by heaven, do not say by earth, do not say by Jerusalem, do not say by my head, for you can't turn one hair white or black. 
Some of you are trying, but it's, it's keep up the good work. <laughs> he, he says, just a simple yes will do, just a simple no will do. Anything beyond this is from the evil one. James 5 reiterates the same thing that Jesus has just told us. He says, but above all, brothers, which is implying the importance of this, he says, do not swear either by heaven or earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes, let your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. So, so in response, mostly motivated by a painful moment, through rejection, through neglect, through trauma, mostly motivated by a painful moment, we have a tendency to make what I'm calling inner vows. And it's an oath that we make to ourselves, mostly determined out of a determination for self-preservation and protection. And here's how they mostly go. You get hurt in a relationship and you say, I'll never let a man hurt me again. Or a woman, I'll never let a woman, I'll never be vulnerable to a woman again. You get hurt or maybe you get defrauded in a business transaction by someone of a particular race. And I've seen this unfold and even friends of mine, I've, I've, I've heard them say, I'll never do business with insert the name of the race of people. We, we say, I'll never step up to serve again. I'll never be a part of a church again. I'll never, I'll never, I'll never. In a, in a motivation to self-protect and self-preserve, we make these inner, inner vows. Listen, this is different than healthy boundaries. There's some people in your life that you need to have some healthy boundaries. But this goes beyond that to this idea of self-preservation and self-protection. And here's why it violates God, because only God can be your source of preservation and protection. And when we make this vow in a response to pain, we build these walls, we build this prison around our life and around God's will for our life, and we begin to make the vow itself and keeping the vow the Lord of that area of our life. Because what do you do when God really has in his heart that someday you would be married again? What do you do when you say, I'll never be poor in my life ever again? What do you do when God calls you to sell it all and go to the mission field? What do you do when God calls you to do something that violates the vow? And here's what I wanna encourage you, that the better thing to do is to take that real pain, real trauma, real abuse, and instead of making a self-protective, self-preservation determination to say, I'll never let them do that again, or I'll never step out and trust God again, here's the better thing to do. Say, God, would you heal me of this? Would you help me with this? It really stings what happened, but I don't wanna let my heart grow hard towards a person or a group of people or towards you. I refuse to allow the enemy to cause me to put a judgment out over every other person because I really experienced a real pain at the hands of that one person. And I refuse to put these parameters around what I'll trust you to lead me forward towards in the life of faith that you've called me to. Psalm 71 verse 14 is a better response. The psalmist said, as for me, I will always have hope. Psalm 119, verse 44, I will always obey. Psalm 16, verse eight, I will keep my eyes always on the Lord because with him at my right hand, I will not be shaken. I wonder who's made an inner vow today. I wonder who's ever said, I will never. And you've made that oath, that vow, the Lord of that area of your life. And before I move on to the last two points, I just feel led to just pause right there and just pray for you. And just ask the Lord to, to help you, to heal you, to make you whole in that place again.
I mean, you, you probably experienced real pain, real abuse, real rejection in that place. But God says, would you just present that pain to me? Would you allow me to help you? Would you allow me to heal you so that you don't get stuck, so that you don't feel like you are responsible for fiercely and, and in a determined way protecting yourself and preserving yourself? Only I can do that, says God. So if that's you, in fact, every head bowed, every eye closed, and if that's you, maybe you just wanna lift your hands before the Lord just as, you're, as if you're just lifting that vow before him and, and preparing yourself to just lay it at his feet today in this moment. And Lord, I just thank you that anyone who's ever made that kind of a commitment, that kind of a vow, Lord, I pray that today that you would help them, that you would heal them, Lord. I pray that you would grace them, God, to release, to forgive. And Lord, I pray that you would set them free from the bondage of that vow, that they would be able to once again trust you, Lord, with your hand and your timing, your will, your direction, Lord, in their life, in relationships, Lord, and the things that you've called them to do and to be, Lord, we refuse to allow the hurt or the pain of our past to keep us from walking forward in faith and courage towards the future that we have in you. Some of you are, are called to love again. Some of you are called to serve again. Some of you are called to be present again. Some of you are called to take a step of faith again, out to do something that you did and it didn't go well, it didn't succeed, or you were embarrassed or humiliated and you've said, I'll never do that again. And God's today healing your heart so that you can once again get off the sidelines of life and back into the game in the place that God has called you and is preparing you and is fashioning you. And it, it's not gonna go the same way that it went before. If you step out and you trust God, just watch what it'll do in your life. And Lord, I just thank you for this healing, for this deliverance, for this freedom in Jesus' mighty name. Come on, all God's people said on behalf of those who are receiving today, come on, say amen. amen. All right, so we have to refrain from making intervals. Number six, we need to rededicate ourselves to God in this area of our life. Second Kings chapter 22 is a powerful, amazing passage about a generation that had so turned from God that watch what it says in verse eight of Second Kings 22. It says, Hilkiah the high priest said to Shaphan the scribe, I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. What does something have to be for it to be found? Lost. They had so drifted from God and from church, they had so drifted from the Bible and the temple of God that they had actually lost track of the Bible. And he says, I've found the word of God and when the king heard the words of the book of the law, it says he tore his clothes and he said, go inquire of God for me and for the people and for all of Judah concerning these words of this book that has now been found because great is the wrath of the Lord that has been kindled against us because our fathers, catch this, our fathers have not obeyed the words of this book to do according to all that is written concerning us. And how do you know that this is where we find ourselves in many ways in our culture, a turning away, a drifting from church and God and the Bible. And there, I'm telling you, the more we do that, the more we potentially put ourselves in a place where a future generation is gonna look up and what they say right there, they said, the wrath of the Lord has been kindled against us. That's a religious sounding way to say, life is not going very well. The blessing of God is not resting upon our nation. Things are not going well, because, why? Because we've drifted from God's word and that began them finding the word of God, began a process of them beginning to reinitiate worshiping God and honoring God and reading God's word and putting God in his rightful place as first upon their life and the blessing of God returned back to their families, their homes, their marriages, their churches, their communities. And God will do the very same thing for you and I if we'll rededicate ourselves. And, and I know it sounds crazy that they lost the Bible, but how many of you know that there are a lot of Christians that if you went and asked them, hey, when's the last time you really sat on your own, not on Sunday, not on Wednesday, and just read your Bible? 
and we know where the remote control is and we know where the coffee brewer is, but many of us, we'd have to think a minute for where's, where's my Bible at? Is it in that cupboard or that counter or that bookshelf or that drawer in my nightstand or where is it at? And I'm telling you, it's time for us to once again, as the people of God, rededicate ourselves to the word of God and just watch how it begins to bring healing to generations. Number seven, resolve to live differently. Resolve to live differently. I wanna encourage you with something and that's that it's never too late to start to do the right thing. You are never too lost for God to save, deliver, heal and restore you, your marriage, your family. But we gotta resolve to live differently. We gotta be willing to make a determination. We gotta be willing to make a decision. We gotta be willing to blow out the middle ground and say, I know God, I love God, but, but I'm making a decision in this moment to begin to recognize some of the things and some of the ways that were kind of passed on to me that were unfortunate, that have affected the way I see the world or the way that I live towards others. And I'm gonna begin to recognize those things and I'm making a determined decision to say, I'm going to be the one. We, our marriage is gonna be the one. We, our family is gonna be the place where those things are cut off, where those things begin to shift and change and we begin to pass on a new and a better heritage of faith to our children, to our great-grandchildren, to the great-great-great-grandchildren that you might never see with your own eyes on this side of eternity, but you have the opportunity to live in such a way because of the grace of God that those children will look back and say, man, we're so grateful for whatever it is they called you, nanny and poppy or grampy and granny or whatever it is they call you, that they set an example. They think they weren't perfect and they had some things that they had to work out. And in fact, that's a big part of what, we, what our kids need to hear and know is the ways that we're real with God. Not some plastic Christianity, but getting real with God and saying, we've been through some stuff, but God has been faithful. And we've been through some stuff and we didn't always get it right. We made some bad decisions and we didn't have the best example from, from our great, great grandparents and our parents, but we made a determined decision to serve God. And it's what Joshua is modeling for us in Joshua chapter 24, verse 15. And he says, if it's evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, then choose this day whom you will serve. Watch what he says. Whether the gods your father served or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell today. He says, you, you've got a choice. You can continue to just kind of live the way that's been passed on to you or you can live according to the way that's popular with the culture of today. That's what he's saying. But then watch what he says. Some of you know what's coming. He says, but as for me, but as for me, and as for my house, we will serve the Lord. But as for me, and as for my house, come on, say it with me. We will serve the Lord. But as for me, and as for my house, come on, say it with me again. We will serve the Lord. There's power in a determined decision. I mean, that decision, that determination, that statement can begin to break off all these things, generational curses, generational iniquity, strongholds of previous generations. Come on, God has a good future for you and your family. If you'll turn to him, if you'll get real with him, if you'll recognize, if you'll repent, if, if you'll be willing to release and forgive people who maybe did done some unfortunate things, if we'll rededicate ourselves. Would you stand to your feet? And as you are, the last one I mentioned, it was kind of a bonus one. I just felt in worship this morning that the Lord just said, encourage them also that to do this, they need to receive grace. They need to receive grace. And then the Lord reminded me that Exodus 20 verse 
5 says that the entire family is affected by sins. You know what verse 6 says? But I lavish unfailing love for a thousand generations upon those who love me and obey my commands. We got to receive the love of God. We got to receive the grace of God. We, we, we can't do it in our own strength. We, we got to press into God. We, we got to get close to God. We got to let him bring healing and forgiveness to our life. We got to let him heal those places that are hurting or wounded in our life with his love. We got to quit trying to fill it with the things of this world. We got to get close to him and receive his love, receive his grace. So would you just, once again, just bow your head, close your eyes, and Lord, I just pray over every, every individual, every man, every woman, every marriage that's represented here, every family, every future, God. And we thank you, Lord, that Jesus came and made a way for transgressions and iniquities to be healed. He, he, was, he was bruised for our iniquities. He, he was pierced. He was wounded for our transgressions. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, come on. I just hope that there's a gratitude that's swelling up in your heart as you just are reminded in a new way or a deeper way, Jesus came and paid the price for transgressions and iniquities. He came to forgive you of your sin. He came to heal you on those ways and those ways, those places that you have that inward motivation towards sin. And I thank you today, Lord, whatever it is, anger or strife or fear or criticism or negativity or greed or whatever it is, God, I, that, that has transferred into generations, Lord, we break it off right now in the name of Jesus. And in that place, Lord, we pray that as those things are broken off, we thank you, Lord, that we would begin to apprehend what you would desire to fill us with, Lord, courage and strength and honor and love and integrity. And we thank you for it today, God, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. We thank you, Lord, that there's a pathway, that there's a way through Jesus. Jesus, for us to begin to be set free of the pain of our past and begin to establish a better future for our families in Jesus' name. Come on, if you believe it, you'll receive it. Come on, give the Lord a clap of praise this morning and a thanks. <laughs> lastly, lastly, come on, this is an important moment for some people. Before we worship one more time, get you about your day, I wanna give people the opportunity to say yes to Jesus or to come home, to come back to their heavenly father. And maybe you're here today or you're joining us online and you, you love God, you once served God, but you've just drifted from him. Maybe gotten preoccupied with the cares of this world or maybe made some bad choices or decisions. But regardless, you just know that you love God, but you're not serving God. And if that's you, you're what the Bible describes as a prodigal son or daughter. Someone that came to their father and said, I'm gonna go and I'm gonna try to do it my own way and my own strength. And the father knew what would eventually happen to that child, that they would run out of funds, they would run out of friends, they would find themselves at the end of their rope. And as Jesus tells that parable, he tells us that that son began to realize, man, what am I doing out here living this way? Maybe I'll go back to my father's house and he'll just welcome me back like a servant. And so he goes back to the father's house. And do you remember what the parable describes? That this father was not content to just welcome the son back home as a slave or a servant. He ran to that child and he welcomed him with open arms. And he put a ring on his finger and a robe on his back. And he threw a feast and a celebration for the entire community. For he said, today, my son has come back home. He didn't hold him to an account for all the things and the ways that he had sinned against the father. He just said, right now, the only thing I'm concerned about is welcoming you back home into a relationship with me. And if that's you today, you've drifted from God, gotten busy with life, that's the posture of the Father towards you today. 
open arms. He's, he's just saying, would you just come home to me? I, I know you've been through some stuff. He's just saying, would you come home to me? He's saying, you're my priority. He said, we'll, we'll deal with some of the things. I'll help you get your life straightened out. But first things first, I just want you to come home to me. So maybe that's you, or maybe you've never put your faith in Jesus Christ, never been set free of the weight, the guilt, the shame, the condemnation that sin brings to us. That's the message of the gospel. Jesus came to set you free of those things in a way that you could never earn, never deserve. So if that's you, you've drifted from God or you've never said yes to forgiveness through Jesus Christ, right now is your moment. Here's what I wanna ask you to do. We're not gonna ask you to come forward at this time. We're not gonna put you on the spot. I just wanna ask you to do something really simple but profound. Would you just lift your hand towards heaven and just say, that's me, I need to come home. That's me, I need forgiveness. I need to be forgiven. I need the weight of sin to just be washed away from me. Thank you, Lord, for these precious people. Thank you, Lord, for these precious people in this room and online, people coming home to God. People being washed clean of their sins and their past. Man, thank you, Jesus, for doing what only you can do. If you raised your hand, you could lower it. Many precious people came home to God today, came back to God. And here's what we're gonna do. We pray this prayer with you. We're gonna do it with you, with you. Because right from the start, we wanna show you there's a church family, there are brothers and sisters in Christ. We're gonna come alongside you. We're gonna help you, pray for you, encourage you if you stumble, which is inevitable. At some point you will, we'll help you get back up, help you keep moving towards Christ. And so come on, let's pray this prayer with those folks. And we do it for a second reason, because it just reminds us we never graduate from grace. God's building us, he's growing us, he's maturing us, but everything he's ever gonna do in our lives of faith is all built on unmerited grace. So come on, there were a lot of people who said yes to God today. Let's pray this prayer with them. Pray it with some fervency and some boldness today. Repeat after me, say, Father, in Jesus' name, I recognize my need for a savior. And I thank you for sending Jesus to pay the price I could never pay for making a way that I might have a new life and a fresh start and I give you my life and I give you my trust and because of Jesus because of the cross of Jesus come on say this loudly and boldly say I will never be the same and then come on rejoice with all of heaven for people who said yes to Jesus today man thank you Lord come on he's doing something good in your life he's got a good future for you hey come on let's worship God together one more time then we'll come on with this mission